Obviously, we all know that in the UK, you're only ever six feet away from a rat. But did you know you're never further than 14 miles away from a museum? Hmm. That's an average figure, of course. Uh, there are places where you are probably further away from a museum than that. But if they were evenly spaced out, like service stations, uh, it would be 14 miles. Now, come to think of it, the rat stat's a bit dodgy too. The rat population, according to the last census, is three and a half million, which means that you're never actually further than 164 feet from a rat. Just doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? Anyway, back to museums. They're great places for finding stories, which is what this podcast is all about. We take an object, we look at it closely, and we tell its story. Welcome to Art and Stuff with me, Ben Miller. Now, there's a bit of a mystery about this piece, and at the centre of it is one of our most celebrated writers, Charles Dickens. Everybody remembers Oliver Twist asking, Please, sir, I want some more. Scrooge's bar humbug, Miss Havisham surrounded by the remains of her wedding breakfast, or Mr Micawber's mounting debts and his perpetual optimism that something will turn up. So let's go. A miniature portrait of Charles Dickens, painted by Margaret Gillies in 1843, now in the Dickens Museum in Doughty Street in London. There's an intimacy. His gaze is very direct. It's sort of piercing. I mean, you can feel his scrutiny, but also his empathy. He's clean-shaven, but he has a five-o'clock shadow. It's the most alive portrait of Dickens I have ever seen. That lovely curly hair that's half falling in front of his eyes, he looks like Olivia de Havilland. Quite astonishing. None of us had ever thought this portrait was ever going to be seen again. Now, my parents were English teachers, so my first experience of Dickens came very early on. I remember being handed novel after novel, and, and to begin with, you'd see these enormous tomes, sort of brick thick, and you'd think, I'll never make my way through that. And then you'd find yourself tearing through chapter after chapter. I think Great Expectations was the first Dickens novel I read. So anyway, I have a special affection for Dickens. So draw your chairs up and settle down for our story of this famous Dickens portrait. My name is Cindy Chagrew and I'm the director of the Charles Dickens Museum. This is a miniature portrait of a young Charles Dickens. It's about 14 centimetres high, watercolour on ivory. And what you see is a young man of about 30 years old, clean-shaven, looking straight at you, straight at the viewer, with quite an arresting gaze. He has long, collar-length, dark, wavy hair large expressive eyes with a sort of energy, a drive. You can see a determination, but also a compassion. It was commissioned for an engraving to be made from it to become the frontispiece of a new book. This book is called A New Spirit of the Age. And this book was edited by Richard Henry Horne. It was a compendium of biographies of new, dynamic thinkers, artists, writers who were shaping the world of the 1840s. If you ask anyone to draw a picture, a mental picture of Charles Dickens, 
inevitably is the older man with the dishevelled hair and the scraggly beard. Frankly, you wouldn't recognise the attractive, young, dynamic gentleman in this portrait. And yet, of course, he was incredibly successful at a very young age. He started writing as Boz when he was 22. Oliver Twist was published when he was 25. And he knocked off Nicholas Nickleby and the old curiosity shop before he turned 30. I'm in awe of this man. And funnily enough, I'm not alone. I'm Lucinda Hawksley. I'm a patron of the Charles Dickens Museum in London. I'm an author. I've written several books about Charles Dickens. And I'm a great, great, great granddaughter of Charles and Catherine Dickens. There's something very extraordinary about seeing a family member who you think you know. I mean, I've done a huge amount of work on Dickens and I thought I knew him. And then seeing this totally different image, it's really incredible. And I could see a lot of family likenesses. So I could see particularly bits of my own father, who's sadly no longer still alive. In 1843, Dickens was already a household name. He was an international celebrity, a superstar, as we would understand it today. But just as this was happening, Dickens had experienced his first flop, Barnaby Rudge. It's a title that very few people have read, and it didn't do very well. And Dickens was becoming nervous. He was married with four children. A fifth was on the way. And he knew that he was only as successful as his last book. The year after it was painted, the portrait of Charles Dickens by Margaret Gillies went on display at the Royal Academy's Summer Exhibition where it caught the eye of another celebrated Victorian writer, the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. She was obviously very taken with it, saying that the subject has the dust and mud of humanity about him, notwithstanding those eagle eyes. His own father ended up in debtor's prison and all of the Dickens' children had a very, very tough time. He truly understood what it was like as a little boy with his parents and younger siblings all living in a debtor's prison and him living by himself and working in a factory, what it was like to be hungry. But let's focus on those eagle eyes. Looking at the portrait of Dickens, you're instantly drawn to them. They're so striking, almost transfixing. I think it really gives us an insight into what it was like to be looked at by Charles Dickens. There are many contemporary references to people who talk about Dickens' eyes. For example, the fact that when he was very angry, you could see it in his eyes. If he was in a bad mood, one of his friends wrote that she'd seen him walking along the street and she could tell by his eyes that he was in a bad mood, so she hid until he'd walked past. Margaret Gillies was a professional artist, highly unusual profession for a woman at the time. She was also an active campaigner for social reform. She was unmarried but cohabited with another reformer, Dr Thomas Southwood Smith. Together they investigated the living and working conditions of the poor, including children working in mines and factories and living in Victorian slums. In 1842, they published a pamphlet on their findings, with Gillies doing the illustrations. And this is really quite a crucial part of this whole story, because in 1842, Dickens read this report into child labour in the mines, illustrated by Margaret Gillies anonymously, and he was shocked. It suddenly struck him that he could write a story to convey the issues in that report much more effectively, and particularly if he set this story in time for the Christmas market. 
And this is what makes this portrait so extraordinary, because as Margaret Gillies was painting this portrait of Dickens, he was writing A Christmas Carol. My name is John Bird, and I'm the founder of The Big Issue with Gordon Roddick of The Body Shop. I'm a crossbencher in the House of Lords. I am a Dickens enthusiast, and he played a decisive role in my early education. Like Charles Dickens, John Bird has managed to harness the written word to combat poverty. Inspired by street news, a newspaper sold by homeless people in New York, he started The Big Issue in 1991 as a response to the increasing numbers of homeless people he saw living on the streets of London. I had the most wonderful childhood because everybody in the street, in our slummy London Irish streets of Notting Hill, we knew everybody and we we were a large family. We were a big village. But what I didn't realise all the time was my parents were not putting a few bob aside and we were made homeless at five because the rent wasn't paid and then I was homeless at six again and homeless again at seven and then taken into a Catholic orphanage and brought up by the nuns. But when I looked at the early life of Dickens, I could feel that terrible tragedy that I felt. You're a child in an adult's world in which the adults are not behaving in a very adult way. I was in a boys' reformatory. I was 16. And there was a man called Mr Hepworth. He used to get the boys to do classes for their um, O-levels. And most of us who took it never passed the O-level. But here we were, we had to listen to Mr Hepworth going on about Dickens. And we started with Pickwick Papers. And I've been reading Pickwick Papers on and off forever. I thought it was the most wonderful, absolutely the best journey I've ever... I can't think of anything more engaging. And it coincided with a very wonderful musical called Pickwick, because I was there in 62, 63. You had that wonderful song sung by Harry Seacombe called If I Rule the World... Every day would be the first day of spring. I think it's very important to have pictures of of artists in their early days, so I wouldn't poo-poo it, and I'm really glad that it's in the Dickens Museum, which I'm a supporter of. I do feel it shows more of a contradiction, more of the troubled side of him, than other people have chose to see. I see it as a, as a painting that shows a man who's trying to put on a brave face. So to me, it's, it's a deeply psychologically damaged life, making the best of it. But however you interpret the portrait, we still read Charles Dickens today. So why have his books lasted? Who better to ask than a contemporary writer who has herself written about a part of London Dickens would have known well? I'm Monica Alley and I'm a writer, a novelist. I've written four novels. The first one was Brick Lane and the fifth one will be on its way shortly. The first big fat Dickens novel I read was Great Expectations and 
I was completely and utterly sucked in the story of Pip and his great adventures. And it's got such brilliant characters, Magwitch, the convict, and the, you know, the opening scenes with Pip and Magwitch in the graveyard. Brilliant Miss Havisham as well, the eccentric Miss Havisham. So this panoply of characters I was utterly engrossed by. And his themes are really big. Prisons, poverty, death, big, fat, juicy themes. And talking of stories, I haven't forgotten that I promised a mystery. And believe me, this is quite a yarn, as good as anything Dickens might have written. Because for more than a 100 years, it was assumed that this portrait of Charles Dickens had been lost forever. In one of the letters in our collection, where Margaret Gillies is recalling the portrait sittings, she says she's lost sight of the portrait. She never sold it. She kept it as a personal effect. So this portrait clearly had gone missing. I had no idea that this portrait would ever be discovered because for so long it has been known as the lost portrait. In fact, it was almost 175 years since it was painted to when it was rediscovered. The portrait was found in a box of junk bought in a house clearance auction sale in Peter Maritzburg, South Africa. And it seems to have arrived there through personal friends of the family. Uh, Margaret Gillies and her partner, Dr Southwood Smith, were very good friends of George Henry Lewis, the partner of Mary Ann Evans, also known as George Eliot. So there's literary circles. And two of the sons of George Henry Lewis emigrated to South Africa, to Peter Maritzburg. So it's very likely that this souvenir of Charles Dickens went to South Africa as part of a small personal library. It goes without saying, I never travel anywhere without a small personal library. But how could they be sure this really was the lost portrait? The person that discovered the portrait had discovered other Victorian portraits before and had contacted Philip Mould because his BBC TV programme, Faker Fortune, is very popular around the world. Philip then contacted us once they had an inkling it could be Charles Dickens. And we were able to very quickly, through images we have in our collection, letters and other manuscripts, we could build the picture around this being absolutely the original portrait from which the engraving was made. I didn't know about the rediscovery of the portrait for some time until Louisa, the curator at the Dickens Museum, when I was in there doing some research, said to me that she needed to have a word with me. And she told me that there had been this discovery in South Africa that had been kept very hush-hush. I'd heard a great deal about the portrait. I'd seen wonderful images of it. There's a beautiful photograph of it. But None of it prepared me for actually seeing the real portrait when it came back over to Britain at the end of 2018 and literally the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. It was incredible. I told you it was a good story. And for Monica Alley, it all adds to the appeal. It's a gorgeous little painting. And I love the mystery aspect of the, the whole lost portrait thing. One of the criticisms of Dickens as a writer that people sometimes make is that he wraps things up too neatly. You know, he sort of tucks his characters into bed at the end. 
But for me, and I think for a lot of his readers around the world, one of his enduring appeals is that he actually solves the mysteries. He sets the mysteries up and then he solves them. So the parallel with The Lost Portrait is just brilliant. So has Dickens influenced me as a writer? Perhaps in some ways. One thing is that reading Dickens makes it abundantly obvious that it is possible to write about serious subjects without precluding the possibility of humour. And, um, you know, that's an approach that I hope comes through in my writing. I think Dickens is a writer who wrote from the heart about emotions and situations and... Again, when I'm writing, if it doesn't move me, I don't write it. And then he does have this visceral sense of humanity, of what makes people tick. You know, his perception and investigation into the human psyche is always illuminating. And that's the job, as I see it, really, of being a novelist, to do your best to put humanity under the microscope in all its glory, all its flaws and as unflinchingly and as compassionately as possible. Like others of his age, Charles Dickens has had a few chunks knocked off him. Biographers have portrayed him as a cruel husband, a domineering father dismayed by his underachieving kids, and he all but abandoned the mother of his ten children in later life. But the writing's there to see. He wrote about things that meant something to people. His characters were invariably strugglers against authority, doers, triers and strivers. And the books are full of principled people, trying, mostly, to do the right thing. Yes, I know there were plenty of conniving bastards too, but they tended to get banished or meet a grisly end by the final instalment. I would definitely encourage people to go and see this portrait because, number one, it's a gorgeous little portrait. Number two, it is a different view of Dickens, the eagerness with which he looks out into the world. And the third reason is just because it's a brilliant mystery story that ends in exactly the way that Dickens would have wanted it to end. I love this portrait. Every morning when I come into the museum, I go into the room, it's in his study where he wrote, and you walk toward it, the light comes on, and there he is. And I say, good morning, Mr Dickens. I love that. A portrait that greets you every morning. The Lost Portrait of Charles Dickens by Margaret Gillies is part of the collection at the Dickens Museum in London. It was acquired through the generous support of Art Fund members across the UK. You've been listening to Art and Stuff with me, Ben Miller. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. Listener.